The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. And we have only talked to you about Master Slave? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got on for that one so that uh, so that I could get on for this one. Oh, yeah, that's right. I held it hostage. <laughs> Can't remember. I was trying to look up. There wasn't a live on four legs evolution thing on this, was there? They didn't do this one yet. No, no, not yet, but uh, they better. Yeah. They should. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's plenty of time between now and when this comes In out. Forever. Yeah. And then getting into it, a real song. I know, right? With facts and everything. Facts about about a song about a jacket that is mentioned in the lyrics. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. And we are back on the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, of course. And today, my guest I have returning is Patrick Vogel. Hello, baby. Hello, Brandon. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> I don't know why I had to channel the big bopper there, but you, once you draw out hello, the only other thing you can say is baby, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's all right. It's all right. You got you to gotta go with the moment. You got to go with what you feel. Yeah. That, 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 yes. Yes. I'll take that. I'll take that as a, I don't even know how to finish that. <laughs> so, damn it. All off to, uh, this episode's off to a great start. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, today, we are going to talk about... The infamous Corduroy. You're talking about the song, right? Not the book, not about the little bear. Well, yes. The bear. Oh, man, I should have wrote down the author's name and then I could have busted it out. <laughs> Margaret something? No, I'm thinking of Margaret Wise Brown for uh, Goodnight Moon. It's uh, 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 too late to look it up now. Yeah, it's amazing. I actually only know that book by, like, cover. Of all of the children's books that I've ever gone through, that was, like, one of the few that I have no recollection of reading to my kids, and I have no recollection of, you know, I just know it's a story about a bear who lost his butt. Yes, it's a, a bear who's in a department store, and a little girl sees the bear and is like, oh, I want this little bear. He's awesome. And then mom's like, uh, I don't know. We don't have a lot of money right now. And, oh, look, he's missing a button. So, oh, he's he's a, he's a piece of junk. And so she puts him down. He's like, oh, okay, bye, little bear. And the bear's like, what? I'm missing a button. What the heck happened? And so then he has to go around the department store looking for his button, and he can't find it. And then he's like, oh, man, I'm going to be here forever. Nobody's going to buy me because, because I lost my button. And then the girl comes back and says, you know what? I don't care that you're missing a button. I'm going to buy you anyway. And I saved up my own money so I could do it. And then she has her own little button that she sews on him. And then they took that bear and they made like quantities after quantities of it and probably sold it for twenty nine ninety nine at the uh, Oh, at least. Kind of like the jacket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> by, uh, by Don Friedman. There we go. And then also, um, who is it? Vi- uh, Viola Davis? Is she the one that wrote this? Wrote a, a couple sequels or something? Um, that could be. I, Just recently? I I am not a, uh, unfortunately, I am not an expert. This is one topic that I, I don't have good pop culture knowledge on. I just know of it existing. Pocket for Corduroy. Corduroy lost and found. Yep, Viola Davis. Corduroy takes a bow. Yeah, I just I just ended my my run of working around books for the past fourteen years or so. So I got to pay full price for them now. Damn it! <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, we're talking about and and not the uh, the fabric either. We're talking about the Pearl Jam song from Vitology, primarily written by Eddie Vedder. Pretty much, of course, you know 
the whole album mostly is credited to the whole band. Absolutely, but there's a lot of Eddie on this one. Oh yeah, you can you can totally tell that it's 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 pretty much him. If anything, there might be like a little uh, maybe just a one chord change or something in the in the bridge or something like that that might might Stone have said like, oh no, do it like this instead of like that. It's like, oh okay, oh yeah yeah, that works. That sounds good. But uh, yes, the the story goes that he uh, bought a thrift store corduroy jacket. Then they blow up, and designers are like, "Oh, let's make a let's make a jacket that looks like that and charge an exorbitant amount of money because grunge is hot, right?" Absolutely, that is the that is the story. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a score because you're not a cob nobbler <laughs> or um, a, a tom tom club. Right, all that other fake grunge speak <laughs> when you got your kickers on and you're not a lame stain, you're not bound and hagged, getting bloated, you saying rock on to your friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got the I got the Wikipedia. Up. I'm, uh, I'm just <laughs> doing as much as I can, <laughs> I'm jamming it in. It's, I mean, it's it's also, I mean, it's it's an amazing. I don't know this, this the whole record and then this song. It's funny because to me, it's you know here I am and say oh I wanted to talk about corduroy. I love this song. I think it's super important. Um, mm-hmm. It's Vitology is is right up there for me um, on favorite records. It's probably one B to no codes one A for me, uh, and it's a hard one B mm-hmm. like because I there's times where I'm like no I like this one so much better. Um, but this was the, you know, I, I loved the band early on, you know, 10, obviously I got into it, you know, versus I was, was into it, but this was the, the record that really got to me, um, just seeing what the band was about. And this song in particular, even though I probably have like one or two that I, um, I like more on the record, I think that this is probably the most important song that um, Eddie Vedder ever wrote. How so? How would you, how do you, why do you feel it's, it's his, uh, it's his most important song that he wrote? Um, cause I think it was him getting very brutally honest with his experience, expectation, his, his idea of why he wanted to be a musician, what he got into it for and what he was seeing coming back at him mm-hmm. such full force. I mean, the whole, the, the, the basic, um, structure of the, the, lyrics of the song and what he's you know what he's trying to convey is just that tension of everybody saying you should just be happy because you're a rock star now and mm-hmm. he's going yeah I, I this isn't exactly the car that i wanted to be in you know i wanted to be making music and i wanted to be up there i mean he legitimately i don't think there was any part of him that didn't want to be a front man that didn't have that inside to him. I mean, it's hard to not have that and be who he is. You've seen the progression over 30 years now of him um, making records and being on the stage. But I think it was so overwhelming with the speed that it happened and the crazy expectations and the things that people were putting on him. And I just think he, he lets it all out here. And I think there's, you know, the band as a whole also is in many ways, you know, like, this is like one song that I think that they're they're all feeling that they're able to like understand what he's trying to say musically and uh, or you know what he's trying to say lyrically too, and what they're saying as musicians. I think they all their parts, whether you know he wrote it, yes, but their parts on this all reflect a lot of the band's tensions that they were going through at the time and their feeling and like you know having everything thrust in their face about stardom and their you know what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to say and how they're supposed to feel um and i think there's a great underlying aspect to this that i've always thought about too just from a, a musical standpoint this is like the most the the record itself but this song and a couple others on it is kind of the most like uh neil young and crazy horse that you get and you mm-hmm. get that vibe where you know i think their interactions in that prior year where they were, you know, they toured with Neil a little bit. They had done the bridge school festival in 92 and Ed and Mike, I guess, met him prior to that at the Bob Dylan fest in October of 92. They were just starting to like really understand, you know, dynamics of, uh, of some of the music that was influencing them all along. 
and this is really you just you hear nods to it at least i do i pick up nods to that crazy horse vibe it's obviously you know pearl jamified if you will they you know they're good at taking in those influences and making their own thing but there's there's just that sort of raucous and very sort of dirty crazy horse you know riff and vibe to the 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 structure of the song i think too especially at the end because it's you know it's a fade out which you know nowadays is is pretty rare especially especially for rock and roll that's my one thing that i would ding brendan o'brien on for this i love him as a producer i mean he is in many respects he is like the original um you know sixth member of the band if you will Mm -hmm. um and i i I think he's been so important to their um ability to create and and make some of the music that they made it's just one of the one things the song i'm like oh what why did you fade this one of like of all the songs to fade, like just let it go out for another 30 seconds or whatever it was a minute that they were doing it. Even if it, you know, just let it happen. I would always love to get the raw track from this and hear what it was like, you know, bef- and, and without the fade out, have like the, the uh, an extended cut and extended take on it. That just was whatever they were doing in the studio. Well, what if it just kind of just broke down? They just kind of, you know, one person just kind of stops and it's kind of like, okay, I think that's enough. And, We'll figure well, it out. Or... That'd be all right. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> I guess, that, you know, I mean, they've, they've had moments like that, sort of like that on record before, where they're just like, it just crunches down and ends, you know, some of their starts are like that. I just, it, and it could, it could be absolutely nothing. It absolutely could be just like, you know, they had to fade it out because they couldn't find the, the ending for it. But, uh, I don't know, curiosity. I think the, the fade, brings a sense of mystery to it i think especially because of how it begins at least the the album version it does sort of have a sort of coming up out of nowhere just a vapor flowing in through the atmosphere and just kind of like oh what's going on okay especially you know it's the the first real song off on uh on side two after you get cry two just coming in there for a sec being like wait what the hell is going on it's like okay wait here's a real song okay here's real songs with lyrics and everything but um it it comes in kind of ethereal and then it goes it rocks your face off and then it just kind of goes and i i think the ending is is a real opportunity for a jam which i think is the neil young influence that you mentioned there yep and um it it sort of kind of fades out to to sort of entice you along to sort of like okay come on it's like you're gonna you're gonna come with us like oh what's gonna happen next what's gonna happen and then you know they bring bugs in it's like what the hell is this (laughs) (laughs) whereas i think if they if they just put a a a final sort of definite ending on it i mean they they have to do that in concert but i think that that would end it on too much of a sort of down note because when they do end up ending it in concert and stuff, they, you know, kind of slow down. They do that, dun, 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 you know, yeah, kind of like exactly. a little a stutter to a stop. Yeah. And then if you have that and then you bring bugs right in, it's going to be like, ooh, ooh, ooh. you're not going to be sort of of listening to be like, wait, what is this? It kind of, of fades out and you're like, ooh. And you're, you're, it's got your, your curiosity peaked and then bugs comes in and you're like, okay, as opposed to just click next, (laughs) you know, what's next. Are you saying that bugs isn't like American top 40 material? Uh, well, we all know that it, no, it's. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that that fade out and that, like you had mentioned that fade in element, Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I was thinking about uh, because I was listening to the song probably uh quite obsessively over the last several days um uh heading into this both on live takes and a couple of the obviously the the record but also the alternate take and i thought one thing that was interesting is that sort of mellow slow build i feel like that was by design you know a lot of people when they'll listen to music they'll try to you know set their volume or whether they've got headphones on and when you have some of those subtle things that are happening and there's some, you know, obviously in the alternate take that they have, there's some Ed's trying to say some things and you're trying to pick up what he's saying there. And if you're too curious, you're turning up the volume and then suddenly it just 
thrashes with power cords and you're like you're just like smacked in the face with you know this heavy heavy wall of sound i don't think that that was accidental i think that whole slow mellow build and that whole element of hey you know that idea the structure of the song of like the idea of and and the intro you know the, the first lyric of the song the waiting drove me mad that whole thing was like he wanted to be a musician he mm-hmm. wanted to be who he was trying to be he just couldn't fathom that it was going to be so quick so chaotic so overwhelming and you know so many people thrusting things on top of him so that whole that mix of the wall of sound as like everything just gets you know again really loud and he just you know starts belting out that first lyric is just just the 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 big power moment of the of i believe the whole record but the song itself obviously of just getting you like whoa what is going on here where (laughs) where what's happening what's going on what is he feeling why is this why did this little tiny bongo beat that i was hearing with a, a really deep bass line that had me kind of hey this is mellow just turn into you know like a you know five alarm fire <laughs> yeah i think too with um with the way that the album version goes as opposed to the alternate version on the uh on the anniversary release release with verses that that alternate one sounds a little bit more like they do live where it's sort of it's it's a little bit more pounding it's a little bit more sort of building up to the the verse and everything to building up to the power that they're going to 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 release on you album i think that that one it sort of leaves you guessing you're kind of like where is this what is it going and then you know kind of leaves it's more that mystery aspect like i said like the the way that it ends in that it's you know it kind of is softer you're sort of not knowing where it's going to go and then you know it just sneaks right in there and then gets you and then you're kind of oh yeah so you kind of you don't see it coming once it's there kind of like fame you don't know uh when it's gonna happen it's all luck and uh, being in the right place at the right right time and it's just you don't know you don't know what's yeah the wrong place (laughs) at the right time but yeah let's uh let's let's get into the song a little bit more i guess now we we can that now that we've uh thoroughly uh talked about the introduction right i guess the uh the intro of the song (laughs) yeah so i think i mean well, I think one thing that I always thought was interesting, and I, I didn't do my homework quite enough, so I could be wrong on this, but I feel like certainly up to that point, and certainly through most of the next couple of records, I feel like this is the only song in their catalog to this point, and I think it maybe might be their only song in the catalog ever that is has a title that is not actually mentioned in the song. Which is odd. Like the word itself doesn't come in there. I mean, it's all about the illusion of what we talked about with the jacket and that being the sort of the 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 reference point for, you know, that that whole setting the stage of what's going on. But um, I, it, I mean, lyrically with the song, I, I think there's just so many different, you know, raw emotions that he's laying out on the table. And, um, you know, I, I think it's just uh, it's something that you look at some of the other records, you know, where they don't have in the liner notes, you know, they don't have all of the the lyrics and it's hard to figure them out. 
um, at times. This one isn't hard. It's pretty clear cut for the most part what he's saying. I mean, there's a couple of things here and there where you're like, what's that word he's saying there? Did mm-hmm. he say this? But this is, you know, one of the ones that's, you know, fairly straightforward for a song in the liner notes that is just a picture of his, um, his dental x-rays. Yeah, I think that he said that uh, he he put his pictures of his teeth in there and his teeth were bad, kind of like his state of mind at the time or something like that. Right, yep. And that, yep. And that he did that because the lyrics, like you said, were kind of obvious about what he was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that when, when, I first, when I first got the album and was listening to it, this song was the hardest one that's like, I really like this song. I forget what it's called all the time because... You know, it's called Corduroy, and, you know, like you said, they don't say that anywhere in the song. Yep. They got to kind of remember how to remember what the song is. And then you also got to remember how to spell it, because I'm like, (laughs) I think I I just got it a year or two ago, (laughs) where I could could spell Corduroy. It's like, there's a U in there somewhere, and it doesn't make sense. It's funny that you say that. A guy that I used to, a good friend of mine from college uh, that I used to do tape trading with once I was, I had sent him a show, and I had, you know, just been really quickly writing, and I, I completely spelt the song wrong i i think i wrote like cudroy or something on it i left out, <laughs> might have left out the o or something you know he never let me forget that every time we would go to a show and he's like oh it's your your song it's cudroy um but it is a difficult one to spell yeah um with the lyrics and stuff i know that online it's only got until the bridge and then the rest of the uh the lyrics they don't have on there at least on the official pearl jam site yep yeah, they knocked those out, and which would be. has up to everything has changed absolutely nothing's changed and so it doesn't have take my hand not my picture spilled my tincture which of course if you don't have that in lyrics you don't know what the hell a tincture is it's like what the hell that was a tough one for years i think people probably had a tough one with that one yeah and once you once you know what it is it's like oh okay i can hear him saying it now but before that it's like what some t-shirt what the what is that? Yeah, and uh, all the things that others want from me. Can't buy what I want because it's free. Can't be what you want. And uh, it's supposed to be just fun. Oh, to live and die. Let it be done. Figure I'll all be damned. All alone like I began. That whole lyric is super interesting because on mm-hmm. the alternate take and the album take, that's what he does, the live and die, let it be done. I think almost every live version that I've heard the lyric that he puts in there is the never to be tried nor be your judge. Yeah. That's, that's, I think from, you know, hearing it live so many times, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's the lyrics. And then, you know, listening to the recorded version, you know, everyone was like, Oh wait, it's something different. Oh, okay. Yep. It's, it makes you like, it's, it's just, I, over time I've completely, I forget about that because, you know, used to when the, obviously years ago when the album was fresh, that would be the thing that I was listening to. Uh, mostly, but the first time I actually heard this song uh, was my friend that um, I was in college with. He uh, had gotten a hold of the 1994 Bridge School tapes, um, and, and it was very quick. I mean, it was so that was October 1st, October 2nd, 1994, and he got those, and I they were mailed to me from him, and I had them by like mid-November, and he sent me this package, and it said. Something about uh, Christmas time because they played "Let Me Sleep" at those shows, and I opened it up and it was those mm-hmm. shows which had a bunch of uh, of the Vitology songs on it. You know, they were playing those songs live. You know, going back to obviously even the fall of '93, a few of them, and then several of them in the spring of '94. But they, you know, played uh, 
um, several of those bridge shows. And that's right away at that show, alternate lyric, that's where it pops up as never to be tried, never be a judge, which I think is so much more telling and, and boldly honest um what he was saying. You know, he wasn't, it wasn't him being like the bratty, I don't want to be a star. I mean, he was just saying, I wanted to be, I wanted to play rock and roll music, but I didn't want to be, <laughs> I didn't want to be, you know, it, it, it just have every step I take analyzed and, and fed through a machine to be said, oh, this guy is doing this. He thinks this, he wants to be this, and he's not appreciative of that. And especially when he comes back with the never try nor be your judge, he's, you know, really just being honest. Like, I'm not trying to say to everybody else what they need to do. It's just, it's just music. And I think too, especially since probably this is the last getting to the last hurrah of, you know, the, the, at least rock and roll being a huge force in, in pop culture before moving on to more, you know, R&B and other sort of just general pop sort of music taking, taking over everything. And then, you know, there being no huge music stars, you know, the music industry sort of imploding and can't, uh, well, I was going to say they can't, can't be a rock star and get arrested. It's like, oh, wait, no, that's, they do that pretty good on the, on their own. <laughs> not that, not that kind of arrested. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, especially for like rocks, you know, quote unquote rock stars now, you know, people in, in rock bands now, I mean, there's a bunch of people who do it for a living and are pretty, pretty anonymous, except for probably the, the people who are real into them and everything, but they're making a probably a pretty okay living, but it's not as huge and exploding as, as it was here in the, uh, in the mid early nineties. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a pretty weird time for, you know, these guys, this band, the things that Nirvana and Kurt Cobain experienced and, you know, out, you know, to a lesser extent, only just because of the levels of popularity. But, you know, even what Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, what they were, you know, the the labeling that everybody got, the whole grunge label and, you know, the, the turning it into a, a commodity, um, mm-hmm. you know, per se. But um, it definitely was, it was the, it was a weird time to be alive and witness it. And I can't even imagine what it was like to be, you know, in the ring, in it. you know, it, it's, yeah. it's quite easy to be a fan. Um, I think there was times where people thought it was like, Oh, it's tough to be a fan because people, you know, don't like this band and they'll label me. I'm like that's, that's, you know, ridiculous. It's pretty easy to be a fan of a band. You know, <laughs> you, you look back and you're like, yeah, it wasn't that hard. Nothing really happened to me, but you know, I, 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 especially with the, with the, the benefit of time and hindsight and listening to this, you know, you, the years of listening to this, listening to it was brand new and then listening to it now, I can, you know, appreciate the, and empathize with the insanity they must have been feeling and the, the directions they must have been feeling like they were being pulled in and, and trying to keep a center, <laughs> uh, you know, a center line that they could that hold on to. And it, that must have just been extraordinarily challenging. Yeah, I think too, um, especially back then, it seemed like if you wanted, if you wanted to be famous, you know, if you wanted to be big, that was you being a sellout, you know, which is the most, the most deadliest of sins to to commit if you wanted to be yep. an authentic sort of uh, artist, rock star sort of guy. So I mean, yeah, it's look, it's it's sort of look at the riff. Yeah, sorry. That was like the the riff that uh, even Stone and Jeff had with the guys that they were in Green River with. You know, the guys in River were like, "You mm-hmm. guys want it too much," and they were like, "Yeah, we." <laughs> they, <laughs> you know, they wanted to be successful. I mean, and it's success is its own different thing. They they just, I mean, they blood, sweat, and tears in the music. They wanted it to be heard, and you know, and sometimes careful what you wish for. I think this is a, an example of it. Like, you know, not that they would trade it, but it's again, the speed of, of the, how the wave overtook them probably left them all a little bit, you know, shell shocked for lack of a better word. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you, you, most people who set out to do something, the level of success varies, but they're looking to at least, you know, you, we don't chart a course to do something to not actually arrive at the end. We don't necessarily know what the end is going to be. And, you know, I think these guys were 
you know, hoping that they would uh, make records that people would listen to and that they could be, you know, make it as musicians. I mean, who wouldn't, if they were doing that, you would hope that that would be something that's successful. And then to find that to be maybe not everything that you imagined it to be can be overwhelming. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between getting money and getting attention and money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're making, if you, if you're making a living and, you know, playing in a band, you're just kind of doing it. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah, cool. But then when the eyes of the world are on you and people are saying, you have to be a spokesperson for a generation. And I want to, I want to be your, I want to buy your clothes. I want to look just like you. I want to, you know, do all this sort of stuff, rip off your voice and start my own band or whatever. It's got to be like a, uh, in many ways, like a walking nightmare where people are then casting, you know, casting their own personification of who you are. And you almost lose control of your own person. Like you can't, you can't even catch up with all of the people that are talking about you and saying things about you and, and putting words in your mouth, so to speak. And that's got to be in and of itself difficult. And then you, you almost have to eventually, you know, just say, I can't, that, that becomes the whole element of, you know, I can only fight whatever battles in front of me. I can't do this forever. So I'm, I'm going to let it go. Yeah. And, and nowadays, with social media and stuff, it's sort of like a uh, kind of a, like a, a training ground for, you know, oh, here's a uh, here's a way to create a persona and to, you know, pretend like you're every single word is being broadcast to the whole wide world. And, you know, who what part are you going to play? Who are you going to be? You know, what are you what are you going to do now that you are famous or whatever? And sort of it's it's celebrity is is commodity nowadays and and it's uh a whole lot different you know back then we're just kind of like you're just a normal person for your whole life and then stuff blows up where it's kind of like oh well it's expected that no of course i'm gonna be famous i'm uh i'm online i got you i got a youtube i got a twitter you know i got this and that i'm gonna be an influencer that's what i want to be when i grow up yeah. to give me my uh my vape it's a it's a remarkable difference in the 25 years since uh this you know, record came out and the song was out. I mean, it's the, the, the things and that we have access to and the way information and, you know, communication is shared. It's just a completely different universe in terms of how that goes. I mean, that they had little to no control over their own, their own being their own brand, which is why they had to pull back and, and say, Whoa, wait, what's, what is it? Who are we going to be? And what are we going to do? You know? And, and it's, it's, again, it's the struggle this, the, of what they were, were going through and the struggle that you see lyrically in, in the song, you know, when he gets into the part of the push me and I will resist this behavior is not unique. I think that line in of itself is also incredibly powerful because it's, it's true. Like everything that he, they, he and they, and anyone that was in the grunge scene was doing, it's like, they weren't acting a certain way. It was that again, that, you know, oh, well, they're not grateful for their stardom. and and that it's not necessarily that people weren't grateful or that people were, you know, didn't want something. It's just that whole element of like, don't try to tell me who I am. And then also when you're telling me who I am, tell me why I'm wrong because I'm just trying to figure out who I am. Cause I'm just a person too. I'm just a person that happens to have a guitar that stands on stage mm-hmm. with five guy or four guys making music. And somehow or another that's turned into much more than uh, than anyone imagined. I think um, it is sort of the double-edged blade of uh, authenticity and of um, of bearing your soul. Because once you open up, how are you going to be able to tell who's coming in when everybody's rushing in? You know, you open up and kind of, kind of like is in uh, like not for you. You know, it's the oh crap! I don't have the lyrics up there, but you know what I'm saying it's kind of like you know the storm my room you know it's you have everybody coming in and and wrecking the place and stealing stuff on their way out and you're just kind of like i just wanted to be honest i wanted to share my feelings and try to make a connection and now you know i i I guess i can't do that i can't be real anymore or you know some some people would probably say that or think that and i think i think though that they kind of had to withdraw in order to try to clean up after the party and they kicked everyone out and probably no code is a direct response to that sort of 
feeling of just being raked over the coals of of celebrity and yeah. Yeah. the world running in and taking everything they can from them when you know they wanted to give but it's sort of you only want to give to a point because you need who you are to 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 still be intact to still be there yeah yep I see what you did there with the who you are, too. <laughs> yes, that was all planned. Uh, I'm uh, following my script that I uh, wrote ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, the... Um, uh, what else did I have? Oh, yeah, the... Uh, he, also, he also said that uh, some of this was uh, Ricky Martin was on General Hospital as like a grunge sort of guy. He's like, that's me. That's... <laughs> they just dress somebody up like me and... Cause it's it's hot now. It's grunge. Oh yeah, they totally. Have you ever have you ever seen the 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 video clip of that? Uh, no. Go. You got to look it up on YouTube. You can find it. It's still out there. It exists. It is mortifyingly bizarre. <laughs> but it's they it was definitely like they tried to create this you know amalgamation of like grunge and 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 it was you know just thrust on Ricky Martin in General Hospital. So bizarre so bizarre yeah now ricky martin you, you people know who he is now for not that at all yeah exactly yeah, exactly at the time he was he was uh he was completely nobody and then in what was probably like four or five years after this that he uh exploded onto oh, was the he still in menudo at that point when uh post menudo he might have been it's probably post menudo but he was still like like what how would you say he was like you know b level in terms of like people's awareness of of fame yeah and, that, and what <laughs> where it would go it was uh his his solo career was what like shot him to the moon yeah um la vida loca okay. it is it is a loca vida yes there <laughs> i was just gonna say i can't even remember what it was but yes it was that and see, so, yeah, the uh, I, I think too that this is a song that I think I'm saying that a lot. I crap, I'm gonna have to make a note. So I was like, don't say something that's a rejoiner like that. Damn it. Anyway, um, this song I think is rife for yeah. I, I mean, from the alt from the alternate version and from seeing it live and stuff, where little words will get changed here and there. I don't know if it's because it's like nothing repeats except for you know, some parts of the chorus and stuff and yes. it's, it doesn't rhyme. So it's harder to remember songs. I think if you're, if you don't have a rhyme to look forward to what the, uh, what the next line is going to be or whatever. I mean, there's times where I've absolutely heard him um, saying that everything has changed. Absolutely. Nothing's changed part. I've heard him say everything has changed. Absolutely. Nothing's changed. And I've been left going, yeah. I, I mean, what? <laughs> I guess everything has changed. Absolutely nothing's changed. All right. And then you start to think about it and you're like, actually, that does make sense when somebody's saying that and thinking that they're one second thinking that everything has changed every, you know, nothing has changed. But um, there's there's several uh, instances where little lyrical changes have come up in the song. Um, and it's definitely over the years, especially when you get past the, the, the late 90s. I think that live progression of it, the early you know, the couple of times it was played in 94, several times that it was played in 95 was much, much more closer to that, you know, that crazy horse type of sound that um, I had mentioned earlier. And then and then they stick to that a little bit. It evolves a little bit in 96, 98, uh, 98 mm -hmm. comes a little bit more. I don't want to it's it still has enough, enough space to it, um, but it's a little bit more punkish in the tempo that they they take on that evolves a little bit through 2000 to these days like i think probably once they got past the 2000 2003 tour a little bit like alive this song has taken a turn alive obviously being much more well to say that and it sounds ridiculous because i just talked about how personal this song is to him with how personal that was about like his upbringing and, and the change that he's talked about with that, with the meaning of that song, this one is, is taken on a little bit of an evolution in that regard too, about it being, you know, less about the, the madness and despair and more about the, the reflecting on the chaos, but Hey, we've all made it. And I think they're, 
they they enjoy playing the song in a different way that than they enjoyed playing it years ago. I think they that's not to say they didn't always like it. I just think it has a, a different take and a different mindset as they've grown as as people over the years. Yeah, I think it's sort of now a sort of anthem of being true to yourself and not I don't know, maybe like almost sort of political, not letting other people tell you not necessarily like what to do, but sort of like take control. Don't let other people take control of your life. You know, you, you gotta do what you need to do for yourself and, and what's, what's also good for everybody else too. Yeah, no, I, I think that is spot on. I don't think what you had said about that is, is all at all. Um, you know, I think you're, 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 completely correct i think it's about you know whether it's you know politics or just your well-being i think it's it's become less about hey this is how i feel about the experience and more about the man saying hey this is how we hope you feel about your personal interaction with <laughs> with life and people that you run into don't let yourself get steamrolled let yourself be you and and be able to figure out who you are at any given point in time yeah, and when you're when you're speaking honestly and from the heart, I think that when you have like a sort of ultimate inner truth to to something there, that it's easy to sort of meld and change with yourself and also change with the times. It's it's allowed to evolve. Whereas if it's something that's very straightforward and paint by numbers and by the book, you're kind of just stuck in the corner that you've that you've painted yourself in with it yep all right <laughs> there's the uh you you've talked about bridge school there is a bridge school uh performance that you tipped me off onto from uh the bridge school in 96 Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's the the version that they played the first time, like I said, with Jack in '94, and then in '96 they went back to the Bridge School, did two nights there. Um, you know, they had their their you know mini mini-ish uh, uh, sort of uh, DIY tour for No Code. They did, I can't even remember exactly how many dates. It was like 12 or 13, mostly along the East Coast of the U.S. And then they did the Bridge School before they went to uh, do a bunch of shows in Europe. Um, Brendan O'Brien was with them. I think both nights. Pretty sure it was both nights. So I I mostly listened to the one that um, there's uh, that I have a soundboard um, version of the performance from. You know, so he's on this playing keyboards, which adds a, a really interesting layer. It's it's kind of crazy that the the take on it and the, the the sort of the the musical arrangement for it really gives a different vibe from the song it's like instead of the aggression that exists on the studio track and generally the way that it's played live or certainly the ways it was played live at that time and sort of the the emotion of aggression that was in it at that time gets like overtaken by this uh, you know almost like sort of reflective serene mysterious beauty it's really weird Thank you. 
that it's it's a really great take on the song mm -hmm. i don't know that i would always want them to be playing it that way it was interesting that they did it the, the couple of nights that they were out there um you know you get a really great um rhythm beat that jack irons is playing again he uses um bongos and um and congos on it um and then uh just the a really nice and alternate version of the song where you're you're left able to sit back and really listen to it from a different perspective um like a you know that again like instead of that that crazy build that screams out at you on the record and when they do it live um generally and then this time it's it's just much more you know it's just much more mellow and 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 the, i just love the keyboard layers that they put into it um brandon o'brien just knows how to color things in a way that is really fantastic and it just adds a, a different dimension to the song so I've, I've always loved going back and listening to that version of it there is also there's one other live version that i would highly recommend that anybody um who's into listening to live pearl jam goes checks out it's from um november 2nd 1995 at salt lake city they played a bunch of great versions that year especially in the latter half of the year that particular one when you talk about how the song fades out you don't know where it's gonna go or you you wonder where it goes that night i think it's clocks in at like seven and a half minutes um, and they really just go into some chaotic chaotic soundscape jamming on it which is was really really interesting one to to listen to and uh so i highly encourage anybody that's into listening to different versions of the songs to go check that one out that bridge that bridge school one it was the uh that you said you have the uh the soundboard for did you get that from the uh bridge school collection that was out for a little bit or something all i know is it's it's not available now at least legitimately yeah, I didn't actually. I um, so year I, years ago when I was first uh, when I was first born. No, <laughs> when I was first and uh, I was heavily into tape trading mm -hmm. back in the day. There were cassettes. <laughs> um, slowly from the cassette world, we evolved into uh, the ability to put things on CDRs. So probably, I'm guessing that you know, I had the cassette in early 97 or late 96 from tape trading um and then um probably 99 or 2000 was when i got the soundboard version on um on cd um and it just somebody you know somebody was tapped into a, a friend of a friend who was able to get uh, a, a copy of it or was plugged into the the soundboard for the bridge school that performance because it's only the one night that the soundboard's available for the other night it's an audience tape and you know it just one of those things that over time again that was short period of time it was a couple years after that that one that particular one leaked out but that's how i got that and then i know it got released as part of that giant itunes compilation of uh bridge school stuff yeah i think i think that's i think that's the one that's not available anymore or is going to be or something like that because there's like there's five volumes i think yeah, of it and the first one is the one that has the pearl jam on it and like that's that's the only one that's that doesn't come up yeah and there was an original um bridge school like gosh i have the cd somewhere i can't remember what yeah that just has nothing man on it yeah yeah where they the the first release they did and they've got like 13 or 14 tracks and nothing man which is from one of those two nights as well the mm -hmm. the version that's on there and we 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 also have to mention how they'll uh, they'll start with Interstellar Overdrive quite a bit and uh, and go into it. Yes. So that was like uh, gosh, it was 98 was the pretty sure maybe they did it in a 97 show, but I think 98 was the, the first times that they, they started doing that. And that's become semi-regular um, several shows, 98, a bunch in 2000. And you know, like even 
when I saw them in Boston in 2016, um, they did it with that one. They were doing it a couple times um, on that tour, and they've done it in the, the later years. And it's just the it's, there's a, some affinity to uh, you know that particular era of Pink Floyd. Um, at some point in time, Ed got into that. And I don't know exactly when it was. If I think it might have been around that time he was touring with Sea Average in '97. So it was all that like post no code pre yield stuff, and the band was out a bunch of different things. Oh, what crap! What was I gonna say? Oh, damn it! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing that they definitely do. I mean, and there's there's elements of. That I mean, Interstellar Overdrive in itself is a very cool early Floyd Sid Barrett song, and there's elements of that and that taking that and putting that into the beginning of Corduroy and the things that Sid Barrett and the person experienced. Kind of, it is not crazy that that that's mixed into as a as an intro to uh, to the song because you know Sid and he had his 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 issues, his personal issues, personal mental health issues that he had to deal with becoming a, you know, a star at a time also, and a little bit of a different magnitude, but certainly that's what, uh, that's what, you know, took him under. Mm-hmm. That's the, the wave that hit him. And, uh, ultimately he was the, the founder of Pink Floyd, but wasn't to be found after really after record two, but mostly even after record one. How do you, how do you think this song fits into their, uh, their oeuvre? Uh, so Again, like it's funny. Uh, I'm I I wanted to talk about this one so much because it's so important. It might not be one of my top favorites, only because I I tend to get a little bit weird with the catalog. You know, I love songs like True Christ and certain mm-hmm. things like that. There's just <laughs> those mysterious songs that you sometimes can't quite figure out what's going on. Like you think you know, but there's uh, some things with it. But this is, I mean, you get, you separate it from two things like that that top you know of songs that you just love to listen to, and then the recognition of of importance this has to be right up there i mean it's 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 right up there with alive it's right up there with given to fly i mean they i i to be honest i understand when they went to the rock and roll hall of fame and they you know they they played alive given to fly and um better man and i i get it but i think this song if it's not right up at the top with a couple of the 10 songs it's damn close in terms of it it's its significance in their historical catalog yeah i think no matter how many times i've seen them live i don't think i could ever get tired of seeing this song performed part of it because you know they're they're going to jam at the end it's going to be a little bit something different but there's there's something it's a quintessential pearl jam song i don't think that listening to their songs this is a song that definitely is pearl jam could only they could have written this i think like some other songs are kind of like oh i could see you know other influences from other bands and it's kind of like oh yeah it kind of sounds a little bit like this or you know sounds like this band or you know given given infinite amount of time with infinite monkeys on guitars they could have you know maybe have come up with you know a, a couple other songs or something like that that they've done but i think like this song is definitely has a a stamp on it from them that you you just can't get there's nowhere else you would have heard this song yeah there's no question as much as i had hinted a couple of times before about like feeling a crazy horse vibe to it that's a vibe this is yeah this is quintessential pearl jam there's you know this is like this is the type of you know if somebody were to come to me and say i don't understand why you like that that band what is it about them this would definitely be one of the songs that i would say you got to listen to this yeah. You have to listen to it and you got to listen to it and you got to like listen to it multiple times and you got to put headphones on and you got to crank it up and you got to blow your eardrums out. <laughs> you got to try to figure out what he's whispering exactly. at the end, uh, exactly. which I guess people say is he says it's your move now. I thought you were a friend, but I guess I guess I hate you. sounds along those lines it's like the 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 uh, intro that he does on the uh, um 
the alternate take where it's something to be or not to be and then at some point he says um i think he says dooby dooby doo Like, do we do we do what he must have just been like trying to think that I'm going to say something here. And then he probably felt like this isn't going anywhere. So I'm just blabbing now. Yeah, I think it was it was definitely sort of the uh, the grounding track for what the what the album version did. I think, too, with because there's no solo through the end. It's just sort of, okay. let's play it and let's let's do it. Let's get it done and we'll go and we'll. uh, We'll punch in, you know, we'll overdub some solos or whatever like that we want to do onto it. Yeah, acoustic guitar and stuff like that too. Yeah, it's more it's more about like uh, everybody with a, a you know like a sonicscape at the end. It's just like everybody charging. There's no this person is has to stand out. And we all have to sit back. It's everybody trying to you know it's almost the the emotion of the song. Like everybody trying to say something at the same time and and push and pull in a direction at the same time um and creating you know kind of in the in the musical sense the tension that's going on in the lyrics is there uh anything else we have to uh we have to etch into stone for this before we wrap it up oh i don't know i mean if we etched anything into stone then you know i mean it would just it would mean that uh we you the know, book is closed yeah we couldn't come back and revisit it at any time I, I oh think... yeah, when when when, when I uh, when when I get through all of the uh, the Pearl Jam catalog in uh, five years, and uh, then I could do a uh, a redux <laughs> with some uh, songs. Yeah, yeah just yeah. keep milking it. Yeah, you have to do the uh, you know the enhanced Blu-ray version. <laughs> oh yeah, the surround sound <laughs> seven point one. Although, but then it'll probably be expanded twelve point one or something. Who knows? Infinite channels. <laughs> Is there any uh is there anything you wanna shout out? Any plugs or social media or that sort of stuff you got that people should check out? I mean, I'm on the social medias. People can find me. I generally will you'll see me around chatting with the folks on uh single podcast theory or or live on four legs. But um I'm just gonna give a shout out if if it's okay to two personal causes just if people are interested and that don't have to be interested there's things that are out there there's a, a great group um that does um that's local to me but um if you can find it local to you um might be out there they do um uh sports for um kids with disabilities it's called high five sports um and if people are interested they can contact me and i can let them know what that's about um it's a really great group um, as well as uh, a school that's in uh, my area that's for kids with disadvantages and disabilities called the Wildwood School. So that would be my shout out. If people have any interest in that and any inclination, they can reach out to me and I can tell them about it. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, fuck, I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> do you go by Patrick or Pat? You can call me anything. I'm the youngest of 11 kids. So. Anything that I've been called, I answered. <laughs> Shithead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, call me that, I'll be there. Uh, so it's all good. Well, thanks for coming on, Pat. Coming on again, Patrick. I'll definitely have you back on. We'll figure out what it's going to be and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. I appreciate you doing this. It's been fun. And, um, you know, hopefully when, you, when the time comes to talk about no code, I'll definitely uh, try to pick a track on that. Maybe I'll let everybody take everything and I'll, uh, I know no one will want to talk about like I'm open and I'll be happy. <laughs> I'll be happy to do that. Cause, uh, I can, I, I can wax poetic on it if I, if I need to, but, um, this is great. I love you doing this and it's, uh, um, I, I appreciate the time to talk about the band and the music cause it's, uh, it's important and it's fun. Heck yeah. And it's supposed to be just fun. That's right. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> The Better Band Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. 
You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at betterbandpod. I am also on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Patrick and as always, this is Brandon saying... From now on, the baby sleeps in the crib. Iron helps us play. <laughs> Hello, Joe.